Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. During the interrogation that Jesse talked about, the, you had this, this flogging that took place, all these terrible things that took place, and then the time on the cross was about six hours that Jesus hung there from the time the nails went into the feet and the hands till the time that he was taken down. You're looking at about six hours of just absolute torture. And something very interesting about two hours in happens because with Jesus is two other guys, two other criminals that are hanging on the cross, but yet they're guilty and Jesus is not. And if you've read the story, Luke tells it to us, and he, he kind of gives the, the whole elements of how it all went down, but one criminal turns to Jesus and just mocks him and says, hey, he goes, so you're the king of the Jews, are you? He goes, why don't you just save yourself? In fact, while you're at it, why don't you save all of us? And the other one turned to Jesus, actually turned to the other criminal on the cross and said, hey, this guy... He didn't do anything wrong. He goes, we're the guilty ones. Yet, here, he is paying a price that he didn't even owe. And we find in the scripture where the, Jesus said one amazing thing. Luke 23, verse 39 through 43, it says, Then he said, Jesus, this is the criminal, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that is like the most beautiful representation of faith that could be. I mean, here you have Jesus. He is dying for us. And then it all comes about in this one moment when the thief on the cross says, Jesus, remember me. And if you've read the story, you know what Jesus says. He said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus hung on that cross for about four more hours, and some, some crazy things happened. There's this, uh, this physician, modern time, that did a study of, of what a body would go through for those that were crucified. And as Jesse mentioned before, it's, it's the most terrible experience that it's this interrogation that, man, if, if you're guilty, you're eventually going to confess. Jesus never Confess, he didn't do anything wrong. In fact, he took the penalty for us. But as he's there for four more hours, there's things that happen to your body. And understand, he's hanging by his arms, and he's resting his weight on his feet, which the nail is through his feet. And what doctors will say is that the longer you're there, the harder it gets to speak. I would imagine that conversation with the two criminals was pretty difficult on him. But then, as you read in Scripture, his, his sentences get, get shorter and shorter to the point where we call them utterances. And what the body does is your pectoral muscles, as you're hanging that long, they get incredibly tired. In fact, to the point where they're paralyzed. And there's, there's these little muscles in between your rib cages that actually allow you to exhale. And so if you can imagine this, Jesus could breathe in, but he couldn't breathe out. And if, if you just kind of take a breath, you can literally get out of breath just thinking about it. But picture yourself and just, just breathe in, 
And really, the most satisfying thing is when you breathe out. That's when the relief comes. But when you're hanging on the cross for that long, this incredible torture and interrogation, as you, as you breathe in, you can't breathe out. Your only option is to put your weight on your, on your feet that are nailed to the cross, and you have to push up to give those muscles some kind of relief where you can finally breathe out. And it's in those moments when Jesus gives us those words, when Jesus says, it is finished. If you can just picture he's breathed in, he's breathed in as only, you know, you just naturally do. And then he has to, to, with all his might, lift up on his feet to be able to exhale, which gives breath, which gives air out of your lungs to be able to say, it is finished. And throughout all that time, he was faithful. He was faithful to us the entire time. You put me in a position like that, and I'm calling in the resources fast. You put me and Jesse together, and it's like, okay, I'm tapping out. You're in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's over for me, but he knew the importance of it. He never tapped out. He had every opportunity to do it. He's, he's God. And yet he remained faithful to the end because he knew, he knew it had to happen. Luke says that uh, Jesus raised up finally and he shouted. Luke 23, 46, 6, he says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Today's big idea is this, the resurrection changes everything. Jesus wouldn't have stayed faithful to us on the cross. Jesus wouldn't have remained. He would have tapped out a lot earlier if the resurrection wasn't so important. And the resurrection changes everything. Listen to John 20, 1 through 9, because all of a sudden when the, we, we go from this moment in our, our, our journey of Christ with him on the cross, and, and it, it's, it's heavy it is heavy. But when you read it, it turns into rejoicing. And I want us to leave here today rejoicing early on Sunday morning while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped in and looked and saw the linen wrappings lying there. He didn't go in. Peter arrived. He went in. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. The cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up perfectly, lying neatly there apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. Until then, understand, these disciples walked with Jesus for a long time. But it was not until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. This is a pivotal point in their life. And my challenge to you today is that you kind of stand in one or two places. And it happened at the very beginning 
when Jesus was dying on the cross. One is mocking, saying it's a joke, and one is saying, remember me. And I hope you're today in the camp that is saying, remember me. I want you to walk away thankful. If you're the skeptical thief today, I want you to examine all the evidence that Scripture has given. I hope you'll read books. I hope you'll study it. I hope you'll search it. I hope you'll, you'll, you'll devote an incredible amount of time to just seeing what God actually did. And I promise you, he will reveal it to you. He will show you. But he gave this moment for them to finally believe. We said the resurrection changes everything. Here's what it changes the resurrection means he saved us even though we were guilty and helpless sinners. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. It says, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Seth was up here last week, and he, he, he talked about that myth of the heavenly scales. And, and our culture believes that, that at the end of the day, if we've done more good than bad, then we go to heaven. But woe to us who do more bad than good. And Scripture is so clear that that is not the answer. Scripture shows us time and time again that Jesus paid a debt for us. You know how the song goes. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And all of the Old Testament points to this thing that when we read it, we have a tendency to understand. But in the Old Testament, they didn't know Jesus. They hadn't heard the story of Jesus. They only knew prophecies that the Messiah was going to come. And throughout this series in John, as we've been, been walking to this very moment to where Jesus is resurrected, we've, we've mentioned often the Old Testament, the law, and all the law that is pointing to Jesus. We've talked about sacrifices that point to Jesus. And all throughout the Old Testament, we have these, these issues that deal with blood. And, and, and Seth talked about that last week. It's a little bit uncomfortable to talk about blood when you don't really know the intent behind it. But in Old Testament days, everything was sealed with blood. And so blood was the life. It was the truth of what something was to come. If something was to be committed, if a covenant was to be made, if a serious promise was to be made, then blood was involved. In fact, there's this one point where Abraham, if you've heard, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Jesus, uh, God, made a covenant with Abraham that was a blood covenant. And I want to share that with you because it is all these Old Testament sacrifices that we hear, all these Old Testament moments that have to do with blood that all lead to this very moment where Jesus says, it is finished. Because he wasn't talking about his life. He was talking about a way of living. He was talking about a way of understanding God. He was talking about the entire belief system that believers of God had. He said, it is finished. Something new has happened. 
If you go to, to Genesis 15, there's this time when, when God comes to Abraham and he gives Abraham a covenant. At that time, God had not changed his name. His name was Abram. But in the covenant, he's going to promise him this land and that he's going to make his people and the, the, the lineage of his people will be Jesus Christ. And in doing that, Abraham gets a little bit skeptical and he says, God, prove it to me. God, show me. And so what God does is he goes into this. He says, okay, I'm going to enter into a blood covenant with you. And at that time, there's not a lot of explanation in the scripture because it was so obvious back then. But here's what Jesus or, or God says to Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, verse 9 through 10. He says, the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And so Abraham presented all these to him, and then he killed them, and he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. That is abnormal to us. It's like for me, when I read that, I'm thinking, we need a few more verses in between to understand what's going on here. But, but back then, it was a way of living. It was a way of knowing God. And so when you had this blood covenant with God and when you had a blood covenant with other people, it was just the way of life. But Jesus said, it is finished. And God had been pointing to that moment over and over and over again in the Old Testament so that those would believe. Here's how the blood covenant went with Abraham. When he cut the animals in half, he, he set them side by side, as the scripture said. And what happens in the middle is it forms a blood path, and that's what they would call it in their own language. And in the blood path, what would happen is, is the covenant is made when each of the parties who are making the covenant pass through. And so the tradition was is that the greater party who is making the covenant with another one, after the, the, the blood path was formed by the cutting of the animals, the, the greater party would walk through. And then as he walked through, he says, if I don't keep my end of the deal, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And then the lesser party would walk through in the same way. And he would turn to the greater party who already made the covenant. And he would say, I too, as I walk through this path, whatever happened to these animals, may it happen to me if I break my end of the covenant. It's interesting in scripture because the deal that Abraham is making with God, it's a bad one, okay? The deal that God makes with Abraham is that basically he has to be perfect he has to be pure, and he has to live an upright life 100%, or he breaks the covenant. And what is he going to have to say when he walks through? It's not like he's saying it just to a buddy. They're not making a bet. They're not saying, hey, I'll clean your pool if you mow my yard. It's, this is life and death, and he's going to walk through into the Lord God Almighty I break this covenant with you, may it happen to me as it has happened to these animals. And if you read the scripture, not only is it affecting Abraham, but generation after generation after generation. 
the coolest thing happens in Scripture. I love this. Genesis 15, 17. Go back and read all of Genesis 15 when you get a chance. It said, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot. And a smoking fire pot made its way through the path. In Scripture, you'll see that fire will represent God. The smoke will represent God. And once that fire pot went through, you have to go ahead and grab the emotions of Abraham because what that represented was God making a covenant with him that I'm going to keep my promise with you, Abraham, for you and your generations to come, all your descendants. And if I break my promise then may it happen to me the same as what has happened to these animals. Abraham, go ahead, read his story. He's not upright 100% of the time. He's going to now have to walk through there and make that covenant, not with his buddy, but with the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh. But then it says in that same passage that a flaming torch passed between the half. You see, what happened there is God came representing smoke. And then God immediately came back through for Abraham and completed the covenant in his place, represented by fire. And what God did is he said this. He said, okay, if I break it, then be it to me, I'll be cut in half. But he said, I'll make you even a better deal. If either of us break it, may it happen to me as it happened to these animals. Fast forward to Jesus hanging on the cross. When he says it is finished, he is giving that testimony. This is a covenant I made with mankind. It's a covenant he made with me. It's a covenant he made with you. And he said, you broke it, and so I will pay the price. And Jesus said, it is finished. Everything changed. People unworthy of salvation receive salvation. People like me. And so what he is saying there, there's no more bloodshed needed. You'll never see something sacrificed on our stage, thank God. Why? Because it's already been done. It's finished. It's complete. All we have to do is accept it. Jesus spent 40 days after he raised himself from the dead, showing the disciples, showing the people that he truly was raised from the dead. And then he finished it out by helping old poor doubting Thomas know the way. Listen to what it says. John chapter 20, verse 27 through 29, he says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. So Thomas puts his hand literally on the wound that the soldiers pierced him on the cross, and he felt that wound. Thomas says this, he said, My Lord and my God, instant belief. And then Jesus said this, you believe 
because you have seen me. But then, folks, this one's for us. What Jesus did is done. He doesn't have to do it again. He said, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And he's talking to us. I pray that you will believe in the resurrection. It literally changes everything. And I want to make sure that we walk out of here worshiping. And so as Claiborne and the band comes back up, we are going to leave here praising God. Every week we like to give a next step. Well, I'm giving you a next step right away. We are going to worship. And so I would ask you to just bow your head, close your eyes, and would you in just this moment, would you ask yourself, which thief on the cross do you best identify with? Are you the skeptic? Do you look at other people? Do you examine their lives? Do you question Jesus if he really did it? Or do you just simply look with tunnel vision at Jesus Christ and say, remember me? Let me pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray that all of our focus today, Lord, would just zoom in on you. Lord, I pray that our praise will be aimed at you. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would just accept our humble words as we praise our Father for the resurrection. Father, you are a good God. We are grateful. And Lord, we sing alleluia to you, simply meaning praise ye Yahweh. We praise you, Lord, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Glorified forever.
The ground began to shake The stone was rolled away His perfect love could not be old Now death, where is your sting? The resurrected King Has rendered you defeated No ground and beautiful thing that we can worship 
with gratitude. When we read the scriptures and we, and we watch these movies with the graphic details of the cross and the blood, and sometimes, like we've talked about, that's hard to kind of grasp, but and the truth and the beauty of the gospel comes out when we realize that we can be thankful and that we should be thankful and that all of the, all of the awe and just how hard it is to understand and all of the sorting out of the graphic pictures and details of that crucifixion dovetail into thanks and we can worship with gratitude this morning. We're going to sing one more song and that's what it's about. Thank you that that blood on that cross applied to our account. Sing with us this morning. First 